Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly episodes with people around the world who share our love of printmaking. If you like what we do, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. That really does make a difference. Or just tell a fellow print friend about the podcast, and maybe they'll enjoy it too. We also have a Patreon page where supporters can join at tiers that start at just a dollar a month, and that helps to keep us bringing you printy content every week. You also get thank yous like exclusive merch and access to our bonus content, Shop Talk with our editor Timothy Pauschak. These are chats for the printmaker's printmaker. They talk color theory, materials, chemistry, and lots of nuts and bolts down-to-earth professional advice. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, you can check out the link in the show notes and hear the archive of Tim's chats with print friends from past episodes. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. Products like their line of professional relief inks, beginning with the flagship color, Super Graphic Black, and developed with artist printer Bill Fick. These are formulated with all the working properties artists demand, and they are light fast, they roll out consistently, transform beautifully, and clean up easily with soap and water. So if you want to take your practice to the next level, you can head on over to Speedball's website to see where you can pick up a can of your new favorite color. There's a link in the show notes. I have some news for you, print friends. Tim and I have returned to the U.S. of A., and we are now hanging our hats in what could be called one of the great capitals of printmaking, Santa Fe, New Mexico. So in these weeks in which Ronaldo, Tim, and I are working hard to get season four of the Hello Print Friend podcast up and running for you, we're going to be running some old favorites from the archives and featuring some of our Southwest print friends. And we're kicking off today with an oldie but a goodie, episode 23, featuring the wonderful Steve Campbell of Black Rock Editions. I recorded this episode in our tiny studio apartment in Potts Point in Sydney, Australia, on a pair of Apple headphones, so there might be some ambient Australian noise in the background, but this episode is an absolute gem. At the time of recording, Black Rock Editions was still under the name it held for the first 50 years of its publishing history, Landfall Press. So you'll hear us talking about how they're going about celebrating their five decades of working with artists like Judy Chicago, Christo and Jean-Claude, Jim Dime, Klaus Oldenburg, and Carol. Walker, just to name a few. Steve talks about printmaking in an incredible way. His love for the craft is palpable, and he's not afraid to get philosophical about the nature of the practice, which, if you haven't noticed already, is just about one of my favorite things to do in the entire world. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to take a ride with the iconic limestone cowboy, Steve Campbell. Hi, Steven, how's it going? going well how are you i'm really good thanks for joining me i'm sure you all are are busy at landfall well we do have uh, we have an artist in right now but she's working away in the other room so i could slip away for a moment or two well great i will take those moments thank you (laughs) so i was hoping that you could just give a little bit of a rundown of who you are i'm sure most all of our listeners will know landfall press but for the folks listening at home, do the who you are, where you are, what you do questions? All right. Um, well, my name is Steve Campbell. I am the director. That's my official title of Landfall Press, uh, although I do collaboration, printing, uh, sales, whatever happens to come my way. Everybody here wears several hats. 
We're in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Been here for the last 14 years now, and uh, we publish fine art prints. And how long have you been at Landfall? I've been at Landfall for 31 years. And how long has Landfall been around? In 2020, it'll be our 50th year. Oh, congrats. It's kind of an exciting time. We're going to uh, have a 50th anniversary show at the Milwaukee Art Museum in October. And that'll move to, I believe, Knoxville Art Museum. And then Mm -hmm. there's probably a couple other uh, museums on the venue also. So it's going to be a nice traveling show. That's great. And is that just going to be a a retrospective of some of the work that you all have done in the last 50 years? Yep. It is going to come out in conjunction with a book, a 50th anniversary book, Landfall, Five Decades. The book is going to be terrific. It's one of those Mm. kind of coffee table size things. And uh, I've got to see, you know, what would you call it, the rushes, the proofs of it. And Mm -hmm. it's... It's an amazing thing to look at. That is so exciting. I will definitely look at getting my hands on a copy when those become available, for sure. Uh, Yeah, I think you should. I mean, it's going to be done in a different format. When we started working on the book, uh, Jack and I were looking at other books, and we found that they were a little dry. We didn't want, you know, in 1970, Jack Lemmon, you know. This type of thing. So it's all uh, interviews. Jack and uh, the author just sat down and talked. So you'll get a lot of personal stories, a lot of anecdotes. Uh, It should be highly readable. That's great. And lots of wonderful photos, I'm assuming, too. Oh, the the archive of photos is amazing. Mm. And it's put together in in a really engaging way. So, um, how did you come to printmaking? How I came to it was, uh, I grew up in Cupertino, California before Apple arrived there. And uh, when I left high school, you know, I just went to the community college and took a litho class. And it was so back-ass words or (laughs) ass-backwards, however you want to say. Uh, And I kept thinking, this could not be right. (laughs) The instructor was was a wonderful man, right, and great painter, but uh, the printmaking end of it was a little skewed, so I started mm-hmm. researching and trying to figure out just where we were going wrong. He was very fond in lithography of the, uh, you know, the 50-drop etch on everything. Oh, uh-huh. That stone would just sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going, this can't be right. So uh, then I started looking around, you know, finished my little tenure at the the community college and went to uh, Cal State Hayward. And they had just some of the Bay Area greats, uh, Mishcone and uh, Kinji Nanao, both taught there. Faculty was fabulous. Uh, Mel Ramos, Ray Saunders, best place I could possibly land. And when I got there, I met with Kenji and told him my interest. And he says, okay, you come here for, you know, finish your two years, but stay four. I think I stayed like six and then uh, <laughs> moved moved to Chicago to get my master's degree. Okay, and was that in printmaking? It was. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a silly thing. I think since 1974 or 75, I, I have not been more than an arm's length away from a press. And, you know, after grad school, I I taught a year at the Art Institute, you know, just as an adjunct, and then, uh, and then Jack's
scooped me up when I was teaching part-time over at the University of Illinois in Chicago. And I've been here ever since. Yeah, so I'd love to hear that. You know, you say just sort of scooped you up, but um, how did that actually happen? Like, what was going on with Landfall that he needed to bring you on at the time? And as we touched on before, Landfall was in Chicago at the time. Um, Right. So I'd just love to hear about that time and how that transition actually came to be. You know, when I got out of grad school, uh, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, Jack is amazing guy, right? Very driven, ex-Marine. Mm-hmm. And very straightforward. So uh, when I got out of grad school, I worked there for one year at first. And uh, I thought, oh, I'm going to go to a, a pro shop. And I went in with my portfolio, which he was totally uninterested in. You know, it, it, he had this, uh, he has this criteria for hiring press assistants, which I, you know, I still love. I was telling somebody about it today, which is... Uh, looks for somebody with big arms and a small head. <laughs> so so I, I, I go in, uh, try to show him the portfolio. We talk a little bit, and uh, I'm going, this isn't going well. You know, I'm not getting a warm feeling. And he looks at me as I'm packing everything up, and he says, I suppose you, you heard I'm kind of an asshole. And I said, yeah, but I came anyway, and he hired me right then. (laughs) He says, okay, you know, start work tomorrow. (laughs) So it's like, okay. So I worked there for about a year, and then I got a job uh, teaching over at UIC, and then Jack got a job teaching at UIC. I was trained as a lithographer, and, oh, God, how did this this happen? He was running through etchers over there and couldn't find anybody that he liked. And we are working at UIC together, and he... And I was teaching that in class. But, you know, I was staying like two steps ahead of the students. Mm. And he called me up and he says, I want you to come and, you know, print the etchings. I says, well, Jack, I'm not a trained etcher. And he says, yeah, but you're better than anybody else who's been through here lately. So I came in, took over the etching spot, and was uh, kind of anchored in there for years. And then we had this really great... uh, printer come in from Iowa named uh, Tom Reed. He's at Island Press in St. Louis right now. So he comes in and uh, I checked him out on the the etching press, right? Great hands, great printer. Mm. And then I bolted over to lithography and <laughs> kind of stayed there ever since. I'll go back to etching if I'm needed, but yeah, it's not my first love. Yeah. I like it, believe me, but it's uh, I'd rather be over on the litho side. Yeah. What is it about litho that makes it your first love and, and you know, kind I, of where I, you like to be? It's interesting. Jack and uh, the instructor I learned from Kenji Nanao in California were both at Tamarind around the same time back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And they were like, uh, to me, I, I, they're two sides of the same coin, you know. Uh, what I like about it, Kenji sort of taught the, uh, the kind of spiritual method, right? Hmm. It's it's like a choreographed dance, you know, from the roller to the press, you know, and everything runs smoothly. Uh, Jack's the same way. So when you're printing and it's all going right, it's it it's like doing Tai Chi, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, everything has a movement. There's an economy of movement. There's, you know, floating of sheets of paper. Uh, it's, uh, it's transcendent, I guess, you know. You can get lost in what you're doing. That's that's what I like about it. It's uh, 
like dancing. Mm-hmm. And if you got a good assistant and you're on the same wavelength, it can be a really pretty great day. <laughs> but on the other hand, if it's going to hell, it can really go bad. Yeah. And you can just sit over there and sweat bullets. <laughs> I had this, I was printing, of course, you know, you're familiar with Christo. And uh, I was printing a Christo print, and I think something was just off. I wasn't getting what I wanted off of the print, and Jack, I'm walking by. And uh, I said, Jack, come over and confer with me for a little bit, and I want you to look at the stone and uh, look at the print. So he looks at the stone. I'm explaining what I'm not liking. He looks at the print. He looks at the stone. He looks at me, and he says, you're not listening to the stone. And he turned around and walked away. And I was like, that sounded more like Kenji than it did Jack, right? Yeah. You know, he got very zen on me all of a sudden, but I, I just stepped back and then made a few adjustments and was quite happy. It was the weirdest thing to say to somebody, but, you know, it worked out real well and I remembered it. I wait for opportunities to tell that to other people. Oh, I bet. It's so good, though. You're just listening to the snow. Yeah. Well, I think talking to uh, quite a few lithographers so far on the podcast and or even just anecdotally in the shop it's interesting when they they can sometimes talk about the stone as if the stone is really another collaborator in the whole thing you know it's like me my assistant printer the artist i'm you know doing the collaborative printing with and then the stone i think you're absolutely right but uh god you know we're, we're getting to sound metaphysical but it's okay I mean, the stone, each of the stones have a different characteristic and a different personality. You know, you're right there. You know, paper's the same way, too, mm. that uh, it's kind of a breathing thing. If you have one humid day, you know, it'll give you problems the next day when it dries out. Registration changes. And down here in the southwest, it is so dry that if you have a humid day, it'll it'll throw everything off. Not a lot, but just enough to be an annoyance. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would agree with, you know, everybody you've talked to, you know, everything's got a character to it, and well, you just have to listen to it. And I even had, I think it might have been Elizabeth Jean Yance. We had a conversation last week, and I think she might have even said, look, the limestone, it's, it's made out of things that used to be living, right? And That's a good point. Yeah, you know, it's skeletal fragments and things from the ocean, like marine organisms, and maybe there's just part of that personality has to do with the fact that it was once alive, you know? But the, this comes back to another thing we were talking about, lithography, and uh, I know for both Jack and I, one of the, the pleasures of it is that it engages all your senses, you know, hmm. graining the stone, you know, the touch, the feel, the sound, you know, even the smell of everything. So, you know, you are, it's a state of high awareness, everything you're doing. And that's another attraction about the whole thing. And uh, years ago, you know, Kenji had talked about a correlation between uh, printing and meditation, you know, where you are repeating the same emotions over and over again and it, you do kind of get to an altered state when it's going well mm-hmm. it's a different kind of altered state if it's not but yeah we try to avoid that part <laughs> well i i think that there is an anecdote about 
the Buddha where somebody comes to him and says, like, we have this woman and she works on a farm and, you know, how can she possibly gain enlightenment? You know, she doesn't read, she can't study, you know, how will she, how will she ever do that? And the Buddha just said, all she needs to do is when she's washing her rice, always just be washing her rice, just be present with washing her rice. And that, that is the path to enlightenment, you know? And maybe there's something, a similar correlation with that uh, being present with the, you know, that kind of repetitive work, that it's getting that meditative state. I, I think it's a, it's a great analogy. It works for me. Can I use that? Yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you were in Chicago for a while, and then at what point did you and Jack move landfall down to Santa Fe? Oh, God, I was in Chicago for 22 years, and I meant to be there for two years. <laughs> and I started started at the shop. And uh, it's one thing, you know, a shop like this is it's not hard to go to work, you know, because you're always engaged with doing something or problem solving or, uh, you know, you, you'll take it home with you, which I'm, I'm sure most people don't want to take their job home, but, mm. you know a lot of times middle of the night you'll sit up and go aha this is the answer <laughs> so you know 22 years later that was it 14 years ago we moved out here and jack had bought some property out here in santa fe and you know him and his significant other uh jeanette you know they'd come out here and they'd spend a couple weeks and then they'd come out here and spend three weeks and then it was a month and then it was the whole summer you know, and uh, so he's spending more and more time out here. And I'm I'm from the West, you know, like I said, I'm a native Californian, but, uh, you know, my family are all kind of Utah, Oregon, desert people, which kind of sounds like hill people. No offense <laughs> to any hill people, but uh, there are, there is a correlation. But so we we were printing in Chicago, and I knew he wanted to get out, and we're talking to each other over the press, and... I don't even think he finished his sentence. He says, hey, uh, if I wanted to move the shop to Santa Fe, would you? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm there. I'll go. <laughs> and it's been great. I love it out here. Good. What was the transition like? Um, did Was it like a big... <laughs> a big jump to kind of go from like the, you know, the big city, the kind of arts hub to obviously Santa Fe is still an arts hub, but it's got to have a very different feel to it. I transitioned really well. I, I like going to Chicago. I like visiting Chicago. I didn't like living in Chicago mm. though, you know, and I'm sure there's a bunch of Chicagoans that are going, ah, oh, Steve, <laughs> but, uh, it, it just wasn't for me. You know, mm -hmm. I've, I've got friends that, uh, still love it. It just, uh, there was nothing for my eye to settle on that wasn't man-made. And that's why, you know, for me, it was beautiful transition. What does Landfall look like now? Like, how many people work there? How many editions are you printing a year? What's, what's the kind of the current state of Landfall? We both agree this is probably the best incarnation of the shop yet. Hmm. We were at another spot when we first moved here, and then as we were talking, the area became popular, and you were forced to relocate. Mm -hmm. But... We have about 5,000 square feet. Um, Jack, the owner, and myself, we're the two principal printers. 
Uh, I have another guy named Josh from uh, came up from Tamarin, and uh, he's quite good, and he also prints with us, too. Mm-hmm. So there's three printers, and then my wife, uh, Chris, runs the front. Thank God. You know, she's the only one of us that can add. So, and, and actually sounds pleasant on the phone. The rest of us are kind of uh, like, you know, pick up the phone and see, say, leave a message or leave me alone. Yeah. But, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how it came to be and, you know, how you and Jack were building up Landfall you know, to become what it is and to be in a point where, you know, you've you've printed for incredible artists over the years and really become so established. Like, how does that go from from idea to reality? I, I you know, you got to just hand it to Jack primarily. Mm. It's always been his mission. I've sort of uh, worked my way up through kind of being the last man standing continually, you know. <laughs> So, you know, people will leave and I just won't leave, <laughs> you know. But it, Jack is the the moving force here. He's the guy that uh, picks the artists, gets them in. I, I do a lot of the collaboration. Uh, Jack does, too. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he's remarkable on the choices. I think we did the first Christo print here in 1970, or in Chicago, or Atlanta, even better. Um you know, Jim Dine, of course, uh, Klaus Oldenburg. That was pretty great. I got to do that collaboration. I was so excited. Yeah. And <laughs> I think the funny thing on it was uh, he's a real perfectionist, right? And he's into the, the minutiae of this. So, you know, we got all the matrixes made, and I'm, I'm, I proofed these things, and I would send him a print, and I'd come home, and I'd, you know, I'd look at Chris, and i so yeah, Klaus Oldenburg called me today, and we had a great conversation. And I'm, I'm feeling pretty cocky about the whole thing. And then, then I had to reproof and reproof. It was a great print, and it was a great experience, you know. Uh, so the Milwaukee Art Museum holds our archive. Right. Mm-hmm. What the archive does uh, contain is all the all the information, you know, uh, from every print from notes to preliminary drawings to proofs that are not realized hmm. and it's it's pretty marvelous uh klaus sent me a letter that i wanted to keep so bad but it went into the archives so i get this letter i open it up and when i unfold the the paper it's a a piece of uh you know what it was an eighth inch graph paper right and four of the grid in the center are colored in green and there's a circle on it and it says try this color steve klaus and that was all that was on it wow. and it was beautiful it was so minimal yeah and i was going i want this <laughs> but you can see it at the milwaukee art museum yeah maybe for people listening who aren't super familiar with that kind of idea of a shop and its archive you know would you maybe speak to that relationship a little bit and sort of how that formed and then what sort of just technically that that looks like between landfall and the milwaukee art museum well uh you'll find a lot of shops uh that have been around for a long time and have a long history like i said all the all the archival material is saved and it is stored and it is cataloged because it's uh, it's an important part of your history i think uh oh 
several shops. Lawrence Lithography, I think their mm-hmm. uh, archive went to the Spencer. The Art Institute in Chicago, I can't remember if they have Gemini or ULAE, but they, they have a shop archive mm-hmm. also. Mm-hmm. Museums acquire them, and they go into their print study rooms. And this way, it's, it becomes uh, invaluable as a teaching tool. At the Art Institute, you know, students can go in and access all this, and they can see the, the process of how the print is created and made. You know, from, from a preliminary drawing, you know, to proofs that, uh, and we do that at the shop. We proof everything several times, different colors, you know, until something resonates. So you can, you can see all the different uh, versions that the proofs go through before you come up with the, the final uh, BAT or mm. RTP or whatever you want to call it. And then that is a lot of time included in the archive also. So you can see the entire process. And it's, uh, I, th- I think it's, as a teaching tool, it's invaluable. Yeah. And so and that's an active, ongoing relationship too. So it sounds like you continue to send them additions and and any kind of documentation that's significant around it yeah it it comes it depends on the agreement with the uh, institution let's see milwaukee i think got our first 30 years and uh you know and that's all the contract was for so you know we're sitting on another 20 years of uh, archive material right right now yeah so well you know they, they might pick it up uh they might not hopefully they will I think it should all go to one place. Yeah, yeah. You know, can you hear me, Milwaukee? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you talk about these these shops that have been around for a long time, like you guys, like Lawrence Lithography Studio, like Gemini, and I think a lot of times people really, you know, um, understand that tradition, you know, maybe more in the 20th century, like these really big name artists who are doing sometimes large-scale sculpture work, but then coming to a print shop to do to collaborate and do works on paper. And I'm wondering if, if in your experience or your estimation of what things are like now, if that tradition is still alive and well. And, and I feel like it is from my point of view, but I think sometimes people from the outside of print shops looking in think of that more as, as you know, 20th century, I guess. I don't think it's quite the same anymore. Uh-huh. It used to be, you know, private shops or, you know, or print shops. You would have a stable of artists that you worked with that came to you you were you were talking about you get sculptors and painters in, and it's very seldom that you ever get a printmaker in the right. shop. Mm-hmm. But it is a little different nowadays. Uh, it's I don't think it uh, quite has the same cachet mm-hmm. that you can ask an artist in, and they'll go, "Well, I don't know if I have time. You right. know, let me check my schedule." Instead of you know hanging up the phone and having them at the door. Almost immediately, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a little different, in my estimation. It's uh, and it's a little sad too. Cause, yeah, you know, we love making prints, and but I think the digital world has kind of hurt us a little bit on yeah. that. You know, Chris always, you know, our our uh, well, she's the vice president of the shop. 
but she always refers to printmaking of the redheaded stepchild of the uh, <laughs> right. medium. Do you think that that, you know, maybe a little bit of that sort of transition, do you think that comes from the digital world or lack of education? So for even when the, you know, contemporary mm. artists now, when they've come up and they've gone through art school, they, they don't get to have that falling in love with the medium and excitement to return to it? Or where do you think it comes from? No, I think that's definitely an element. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of it's technology, part of it's education. You don't see it anymore, you know. And everybody can just, you know, go to the Epson and make a print. Mm. I mean, we've used, uh, you know, digital elements in print. And I'm all for, you know, having those tools, but mm-hmm. then we always print on top of them afterwards. Kind of a hybrid. But yeah, yeah. We've never just turned out a uh, gicle. Right. <laughs> Please don't. Sounds like a dirty word, doesn't it? It does. It does. Yeah, I but feel I, like I, it I pronounced is. it with a little elan. <laughs> <laughs> right. If it's French, it has to be classy. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, you know, speaking of classy uh, French things, mm. did you look at the website at all? Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, d- did you see our old French press? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's, uh, it dates from 1870. It was originally steam-powered. It's, uh, it's a fabulous machine. Uh, they still use them in Europe all the time, but I don't know if... I think we've got the only one operating in the States right now but and it's pedigree supposedly but you know i don't have any uh we'll go french again providence on this <laughs> that uh it printed both Lautrec and picasso oh my goodness at and least that's what i've heard yeah and you said it it's used to be steam powered yeah that's remarkable. it's converted to electric right yeah. now. yeah but it's uh, it's quite a quite a gadget there's a youtube video with our machine on it but uh once we got that out, there's a print shop in, uh, you know, Edium in Paris. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they put one out that uh, David Lynch produced. Oh. And shot. <laughs> yeah, and it, it makes ours look a little sad at this juncture. That It's not David Lynch, but it, it's still kind of fun. And you can see the crew working with it. Yeah. Well, I'll, um, I'll definitely find a, a link to it online and I'll put it in the notes for this show. So David Lynch or not, people can see the one that's in America doing its doing yeah. its good work. Yeah, the, the David Lynch one is pretty good though. You know, it, it's worth looking at too. <laughs> I guess if you, I mean, you know, it, it if you're is, into that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is David Lynch. <laughs> it's just it's actually just filmed like upside down with like a a completely red filter over it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it could be and, and backwards. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it But it, it came out after we did it. I don't know if they, they saw our piece or David Lynch went, you know, it'd be a good idea. Hasn't David Lynch made some prints? I feel like... I'm, oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a printmaker. Uh, he has made prints with... Um, well, here's a good point. I, I don't view Lynch as a printmaker. Right. He's an yeah. artist who makes prints. Right. right. Good distinction. Well, it, there's, there's like a bizarre hierarchy, you know, that you still have to wrap your head around. So uh, I think he, he goes to idiom, he goes to, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, but I'm trying to give it a little French flair. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, he's done some stuff at Tandem. Those are the two I, I can think of. But uh, the piece he was doing at, uh, in Paris there, you know, for the 
for the film was really pretty fabulous. Mm. You know, so you're looking at it and going, oh, that's nice. I love it. And it's a very, uh, that shop is amazing. But so is ours. I'm on, on this podcast to toot our horn, not theirs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when we were talking about this, uh, you know, you have artists that make prints, you have printmakers, you have printers, and there is kind of a schism between each one. Mm-hmm. I, have you run into this at all? I, I'd love your take on, on this. We've gone to places. We used to take interns from different schools, and we'd have them spend the summer with us. And the idea was to you know, teach them different methods to make better their own personal practice, right? And I found that we were meeting some resistance wherever we went, hmm. where, you know, people were going in printmakers. And you might want to edit all this out, see how it sounds, <laughs> okay. because it might be my own personal thing that, you know, I thought we were missing our meeting resistance. You know, people would say, oh, that's all fine, but you don't want to be a printer. Mm. Which, of course, uh, I found a little offensive. I yeah. thought, what? What's wrong with them? But I, have you seen this at all? This this kind of uh, division, even within the print medium. And so, do you mean by like people who are printmakers, and then people who are just collaborative printers? Or, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, you, you have. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's well, what's interesting is that I find that there are definitely a couple of schools of thought on it. Okay. You know, and there's one camp that sort of says, you know, to be a collaborative printer, you don't necessarily need your own art practice because what you're doing is an art in and of itself. And you don't need this sort of separate, like separate idea of like, you know, unless you're making something on paper, that's only your ideas, you're not an artist, you know, Um, which is kind of silly to me because I think that what collaborative printmakers do is art. And, you know, it takes all of the same sets of skills of creative thinking and bravery and problem solving as any art practice. And I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah. And then there are some people, though, that seem to think that you can't be a collaborative printer unless you're, quote unquote, you know, an individual artist, which I just I don't agree with. No, it's, uh, it, it was odd because I never had way back in the 70s, back back in the last century, yes. <laughs> we were talking about, uh, there, there wasn't that schism at all. You know, yeah. it was it was fine to be a printmaker, and it was, you know, but we all had aspirations to be printers. Mm-hmm. And somewhere there was a shift in all of that where it was fine to be a printmaker, but to be a printer was uh, somehow just being a mere craftsman. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, when I first encountered it, I was like, wait, 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 you know, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. So it would be nobler to, you know, work at the hardware store and then <laughs> make make prints uh, in your basement than it, it would be to be a collaborative printer and make your own prints also. Mm-hmm. And I, I really don't see the distinction. You know, they're both fine. And they're both jobs. But... Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. You, you'll probably get a lot of comments on that one. <laughs> but so be it. That's fine, too. Yeah. We can open up the discussion. Let's do it. Let's do it. Because I, I think it is an important thing to address. And, and I, think, I think of two things when I think, to think about it. And one is that it goes back to that 
artificial hierarchy between art and craft, just in general, um, Mm -hmm. that exists, you know, that that it's it's completely made up and you know that the whole world is set up to create hierarchies because people profit from them and you know and so you can you can charge you can charge more for a woodcut that's on a piece of paper than if it's on a t-shirt because it's even though it's the exact same woodcut you know this kind of like idea of hierarchies so there's that. So there's that idea of like craft versus art, which is just arbitrary. And then also, I wonder if it if it does come from just a little bit of the breakdown in the education, like we were talking about earlier, of the tradition of the collaborative printer. And you know, when you look back and you you know you see like like you said like Picasso, it was it was a time that was like if you were a practicing artist of some repute, you were making collaborative prints. It just happened. Absolutely, it, it and, just happened. And it wasn't thought of as you know um, as coming down. You know, no. You know, making prints was as high an art form as any mm-hmm. anything else you could possibly do. I yeah. don't get it. You know. Uh, Back when I, w- I was coming up, not only, you know, and I've forgotten a lot, but uh, <laughs> not only did you know the print, but a lot of the times you uh, knew the printer also. Mm, right. I, um, Jack introduced me to uh, Picasso's uh, printer, the guy mm. that printed his etchings, and uh, what was his name? Aldo Kromalek, I think, and mm-hmm. I, I just became speechless, you know. <laughs> I felt I was just starstruck, you know, kind of kicking your feet, couldn't make eye contact, and kept going, whoa, shucks. You know, I felt like such an idiot, you know, and yet you get Christo in here and, uh, you know, you don't think twice about it or, right. you know, Bob Cottingham. Yeah. And, but yet you, you meet this renowned printer and I, I become tongue-tied and I... <laughs> And you've noticed I don't have problems talking usually, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden I, I got so shy. Yeah. Much to everybody's amusement, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure. Even in the way that you see work credited in art galleries and museums, it's, you know, you will walk into a museum and you know, you maybe weren't expecting to see prints, you're just going there for an exhibition, and then you see a print. And you see, you know, the way it's framed, they've completely cut out the chop, and there's no, you know, and you, and you look at this, and you're like, I know this person isn't a printmaker. Like, I know they didn't do this four-color lithograph themselves, you know? And yet there's no credit given on the wall tag for the shop, let alone the printer. And that's uh, not helping. Some will. Some will. Some will. No, it isn't. I, yeah. I agree. Uh, you know, we've we've been cut out of monographs entirely. Mm. You know, there'll, there'll be, you know, prints that we've done, and they'll say, oh, you know, this was uh, gifted to the museum by so-and-so. But, you know, we'll, we'll be cut out of the equation. But uh, it happens, and it it's always hurts a little. But, uh, you know, good museum will, will credit the shop. Yeah. Some of the best books I've seen not only, you know, credit the, the shop, but they'll say who printed it yeah. and when. And uh, that's exciting little backstory stuff. It's, and it's not so much an ego boost, because I'm not saying I want to see my name or Jack's name or, you know, any of our friends' names in particular. 
but uh, it's it's interesting. That's what I loved about the uh, Art Institute in Chicago, the the print study room. Mm-hmm. There is not only could you find you know a Manet print, but you can find who printed that print, and uh, and you get a little more into the the wonkiness of it all. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I love that word too. You know, uh, the kid we have, he's not a kid. But <laughs> He's 25, so, you know, maybe he looks like a kid to me, because I'm not. But uh, he's a wonk. Yeah, you know the term, right? You know, kind of a print wonk. He's, I don't think I do. What's a print wonk? I, a wonk is, to me, I don't know where I picked that up. It might have been from John Langford, a punk rock guy in Chicago, uh, and a great artist, by the way, too. But a wonk is uh, an enthusiast to, you know, the <clears throat> utmost degree. You know, it's like a nerd, but a little more on steroids. You know, he's, <laughs> right. he's not a nerd. He's a wonk. He's a wonk. Maybe we can get that going. Let's get I like it into it. The, uh, the lexicon. I but, like uh, it. Josh, Josh is a wonk. So it's, it's fun having somebody that's 25 years old across the press from you mm. that can keep up on your conversation because, you know, Jack's also an old print wonk and so am I, mm-hmm. you know, so if you start talking about this obscure stuff, he knows. So, you know, it means that there's hope that, you know, the, a good job's being done down at, you know, Tamron to educate the kids, yeah. you know, because you're, you're getting these uh, nerdy, wonky kids coming out. <laughs> That's how we like them. Yeah. I don't know. I I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked a little bit, obviously, about that lack of education and, and just lack of general understanding and sort of probably, therefore, reverence for collaborative printmaking process is, is not as prevalent as it was. But uh, It's not. I, can, I could get out into the weeds on this, too, yeah. you know, where... You know, you, you're wondering how to, discreet to be. Cause, uh-huh. You know, I, I think a lot of people listen to you, and uh, and I'm a, a recent uh, convert also. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm not seeing it in the shops anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I also do the sales for Landfall, which mm-hmm. means that if a, a university has an art museum, you know, I'll go there and, uh, and of course, try to sell them our editions. But I always go to the print shop afterwards. Mm-hmm. And some of them are not in the best condition at yeah. all, which uh, saddens me. Yeah. Although, God, where was I? I was up in Lincoln, did the wholesale pitch, right? Walked over to the print shop, and, uh, and the, it was at the tail end of the class, and it was packed. Yeah. You know, and it was really kind of exciting to see the energy running through that, uh, that etching shop. And I went and introduced myself, and I was looking at kids' work. And then, you know, I, I, you know the plates looked great. Uh, hmm. The prints were not pulling everything that they could out of the, out of the plate. And I, I just asked her very politely, I said, can I stay for a little while? <laughs> you know, I just don't want to go back to the hotel and start drinking. By the way, somebody brought me a bourbon. So <laughs> I'm back to it. Beauty. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, you know, I stayed for a couple hours and just worked with everybody and talked with everybody. And uh, I, I had a marvelous time. Yeah. But so often, there's not that uh, level of energy in mm-hmm. the shops. And not that level of education. And I don't know where that's coming from. That, you know, there's not the excitement Mm -hmm. 
that uh, you know that was in the Bay Area in the seventies, or you know some of these other areas. You know, it uh, it was uh, Iowa where. Uh, my friend Tom Reed, who I mentioned earlier, was out of, uh, they had a very exciting printmaking department, you know, and it was renowned, you know, back back in the old days, you know, but I don't know other than uh, Knoxville mm-hmm. and uh, Beauvais Lions, I don't know, you know, where the energy's at mm-hmm. anymore. Maybe you would know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, back when I was coming up, it was it was Iowa. Stanford and Nathan Oliveira was huge, you know. He was a marvelous influence on on the printmaking community. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm a bit out of the loop. I just don't see that kind of energy anymore. And I think that addresses what you were talking about, yeah. right? So obviously you've seen a, a shift. And yeah. I just waved my finger at nothing in the air here in front <laughs> of me. You've seen this. I'm wagging a finger. Yeah, this is yeah. important. So it, it's a couple of things come to mind. And one is that I see the energy and the excitement about printmaking um, a lot in the digital sphere. You know, there there are printmakers that have 300,000 followers on Instagram. You know, that's incredible. And there are, you know, people really connecting that way. So I think that that's significant and and in a way will be will be printmaking savior and I say that because you know when you sort of say you go to these universities and you're wondering where the excitement is and I think that it's doesn't come from the students the kind of lack of engagement because any well-funded print shop I've ever seen has the energy in it and I think it's the administration and that in it's sort of a cycle where, you know, the people in the administration want to make cuts, they want to not fund things, and they don't understand what printmaking really is. So they look to do that and they look to make cuts in the arts first, of course, most in any situation. Oh, uh, ab- absolutely. And printmaking, I think, suffers quicker um, and more significantly from the cuts. And I'm sure that, speaking of controversial statements, I'm sure I'll you know, be getting letters from painting departments around the world for that. But, but really, I think because it's so community-based, because it's so shop-based, because you have to have that press and you have to have a technician who can fix that press when it breaks down to make these things okay. work, it's like, this hurts us. And therefore, All right. I, I can, I can yeah. talk to this when, yeah. when you finish your sentence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, um, but I think, I, think, I think you get get where I'm going with it, which is just I think it's administrative cuts within larger university systems that they go for the arts and they go for printmaking. And because printmaking is a living, breathing community, in order for it to thrive in a university setting, you pull one of the legs out from that table and it becomes unstable pretty quickly. I, I couldn't agree with more I, uh, with that assessment. It's it's funny. This goes back to me referring to uh, you know printmaking as the redhead stepchild. Right. It's usually the first thing that uh, you know if cuts happen and cups come down through the art department, they start looking at print kind of critically, mm-hmm. which is sad. But I I'm going to go back to talking about Cal State Hayward and my own experience is it was one of the few places that uh, fused all mediums. 
Hmm. Printmaking was as important as sculpture, as important as painting. So there's no uh, there's no hierarchy. And what they always maintained at that time is we're not training painters, we're not training printmakers, we're training artists. And this is just part of your vocabulary as an artist. Right. You should be able to sculpt, you should be able to paint, you should be able to make a print. And all with ease. Things tend to get a little um, boxed in. You get labeled. And uh, I think that's been one of the the downfalls of all this, you know, and uh, I'd like to see it come back around full circle again. Well, I I do see incredible excitement, um, you know, like I said, in, in the digital sphere. I think that printmaking is exceptionally well poised to survive art sales transition to the digital world. Um, because it's it's graphic, I think it, it reproduces much better in a photograph than other media. And it also often is on paper, although not always. Therefore, it makes it easier to ship long distances. So it's got a few physical characteristics that make it, as I said, well, well poised to, to survive galleries moving online and that sort of thing. Hasn't that always been the allure of prints and collectors is that mm. it is the most uh, democratic yes, or, you know, uh, proletariat of all mm-hmm. mediums is that uh, you can't always afford a painting, but you can almost always afford a print. So uh, when you, you're saying the digital sphere, you're talking about galleries not being, uh, you know, roof and mortar anymore, brick and mortar, but... Right. Uh, just becoming digital. Yeah, or 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 being brick and mortar, but having say half of their sales come from online sales. You know, that's what. Well, no, it, yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, we don't get a lot of traffic through the shop, but uh, you know, almost everything either comes from me going to a place and showing the prints, or uh, online. So you, it's imperative to have an online presence. I, I fully agree with that. And it's also, it has a um, performative and dramatic element to it that makes it really also, I think, well-suited for some sort of digital promotion. As the two or three seconds of pulling the paper up from the final plate or, or keystone or whatever you want to call it, and that moment is magic no matter how many times you've seen it done. and No, no, I, yeah. I agree. I, and I like the term as the, the reveal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even, even, you know, for printers, too, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's great to, to pull that sheet off of the uh, whatever matrix you're using, be it etching or litho. It's, uh, it's always a little, little giddy thrill. Mm-hmm. I think one of my, my bigger downfalls is when we're editioning and, you know, we're a production shop. So, you know, time's money, right? right. You've you, you got to get this thing done. And I'll pull a print off and just tend to kind of linger over it a little bit going, oh, hey, this is really nice. I didn't notice this over here before. And <laughs> then somebody has to pull me back to reality. Right. There's still 50 more to do. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. So, yeah, I love that. And so I, you know, I, I do think it's, there are some, you know, I, I'm not I'm not someone who likes to give energy to the negative. And and so I you know, I don't um not to say that I think we should should ignore some of the institutional support crumbling for printmaking, 
but I see people so excited for it and so interested in sharing and connecting. And I see qualities that printmaking has that makes it uh, a survivor and a survivor into the digital age that I think that it may change, you know, how it exists, but, and in this world, but I also don't see it going away. Um, I think it's just going to shift kind of the place that it has in the world. I, I fully agree. I mean, it comes and it goes. I mean, the establishment of Tamron alone mm. back in the uh, 60s came from the fact that uh, the art of lithography was dying off. So the idea was to start training people. Mm. So things come in wave. It ebbs and it flows. Yeah. Uh, you know, I hate to see it ebbing because this is my, you know, my passion. Yeah. It's what I like. You know, and to see people not being interested in it or, you know, print shops closing down because, mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's toxic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I just did uh, air quotes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, which I have a little problem with the whole green thing, but I don't know if we want to go there, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it hurts a little bit to, to see a decline. Part of it is, at least from my experience with it, is that either people don't know what printmaking is, or they love it. <laughs> you know, and that's true. And and it's so so for me, the frustration comes from if you could only know what this was, you would love it. Trust me, I promise you. Like, there's no other option. Well, that that brings back the the vitality of uh, the notion of. Uh, Print study rooms, mm -hmm. yeah, which are, are amazing. I love going to print study rooms and, and talking to the curators there. Um, you're, you, of course, know who Kara Walker is, oh, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, we did a lot of prints with her, you know, and we did the silhouettes and mm -hmm. everything she's known for. But we were looking at her sketchbooks, phenomenal sketchbooks. You mm -hmm. could become lost in these things, and uh, we wanted to kind of show off her drawing skills and you'll appreciate this too. Uh, and you know she does that kind of antebellum type of uh, work with slavery as the subject mm -hmm. and uh, really powerful stuff so we spent an afternoon over at uh, the Art, Art Institute in Chicago and Mark Pascal was kind enough to show us Goya's Disasters of War which she loved, looked at, and then, uh, you know, came back and produced, I think, four or five prints influenced by mm -hmm. Goya. And mm -hmm. they're amazing. You should look them up and see if you can find them, you know, or uh, you can write Chris and ask her to send you the images. So mm -hmm. you, you, you can see the influence. And yet, you know, she made them uniquely hers simultaneously. Which, you know, also has that line of continuity, you know, from, and that that gets back to one of the other things that I really like about making printing prints, if, no matter whether you're making an etching or a lithograph, you know, an etching, for instance, you have a line of continuity all the way back to Rembrandt, yeah. you know, it's done the same exact way. You know, lithography, you have that line of continuity all the way back to Cinefelder, you know, mm -hmm. and... And it's exhilarating, you know, to think about it, that this this has continued over hundreds of years. 
it's phenomenal. But, uh, you know, we, you can probably tap Chris if you want to see these uh, walkers. Yeah. They're phenomenal. Yeah, I definitely will. And where's the best way people can learn about the projects and follow them? Newsletter, website, Instagram? Uh, website is the, uh-huh. the best hit. Yeah. You know, which is uh, landfallpress.com. And I, th- I think that's the best way to contact us. You know, nothing, none of us are, you know, we're, we're still firmly entrenched in the oh, 19th century, <laughs> 20th century. Well, yeah. Some of our, you know, some of us uh, back to the 14th century. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we try to keep up uh, with the whole you know, digital stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, I end up scratching my head. <laughs> you know, one of the jokes around here is you have all these printers here, but none of us can use a, a printer in right. the office <laughs> without asking for help. But, uh, you know, you can find us online. Great. You can always drop us a line. That's uh, info at lampopress.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll, tr- we'll try to get around to answering you if uh, I think Chris is the only one that actually knows how to type. <laughs> but, I love it. And if you're in Santa Fe, you can always uh, drop by. Yes, I I really hope to visit um, sometime in the next year or so because I've got oh yeah dear friends in you Santa definitely Fe. Definitely have to come by. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I would I would love it. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you, Steve. Thank you so much. And a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I hope uh, you get something good out of this. Okay? I, I know I do. I was I was really excited when we were recording. I was like, it's so good. So have a great afternoon printing. And um, I hope we can talk again sometime in the future. Oh, I would love that. Okay. okay. Well, thank you, too. Thank you, Steve. All right. Have a good night. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when we pull out another Southwest classic from the Hello Print Friend archives. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.